it's, you know, it doesn't take stress away, mindfulness. It changes our relation, relationship to it, right? It doesn't, it, you know, there's this myth that it's like, we, you know, it's like not thinking. You know, if we meditate, we can like escape thinking and like it's about stopping your thoughts. Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility infusing science and all things natural. We are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate this thing called life. From fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts, lean lean in, in, and get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology Podcast. Yes, we are live. Thank you guys for being here. We are super excited because this is our pre-Valentine's Day episode. Uh, We released it on the, uh, well, it's Tuesday before Valentine's Day. So we are here and we are um, with Dr. Alda Ngo, as well as Stephanie Curran. And they're actually not even in Toronto at all. And uh, we're having three time zones going on right now. Mountain, you're in the mountain time, Dr. Ngo. And and then Stephanie, you're in um, Victoria, correct? Exactly, yes. Yes, so awesome. And so we welcome you because we're going to be talking about mindfulness for fertility. And not only are we going to be talking about it, we're actually going to be, well, you guys are going to be leading us with a mindfulness meditation, which is so super awesome on this cold blistery day here. I I don't know about you, Tanya. (laughs) You were shoveling the snow this morning, right? I was out shoveling. Yes. And we recognize that this can be a very challenging time. For women going through fertility, Valentine's Day can be a trigger. So we want to improve your Valentine's Day this year, 2022, and your quality of life. And research shows that when you incorporate mindfulness into your life, when you're going through fertility challenges, that you can improve your quality of life. And new and upcoming research is saying that it can increase your chances of getting pregnant. They have to do more research on that, obviously, because it's just their smaller studies. But it used to be like there was no association between stress and fertility. But there is definitely like definitely, um, you know, change in the research, which is awesome because we get to discover, you know, not just increasing your chances, but increasing your quality of life and just changing your journey um, because it can be very stressful. It's almost like as stressful, they say, as some other chronic illnesses going through fertility, fertility, um, as stressful as getting a cancer diagnosis, apparently. So, um, yeah, I would love to say, yeah, we're going to get into this. And uh, but before we be led by that, let's actually talk about what mindfulness actually is, because I think, you know, there's some myths surrounding that and how it should look like. And, you know, when I think of the word meditation, traditionally, it'd be like, okay, I need to sit cross legged in a dark room. And then I have to have some candles going on and maybe some like incense. And then I have to like go home. And then I have to like sit for like an hour before I get any effect right but i think we're going to break that dispel that myth and see what really works and what the heck it is and before we do so let's you know actually introduce stephanie as well as uh dr alda here and um so you know what why don't you guys share with us a quick little um intro yourselves 
Okay. So Stephanie, um, I'm Stephanie Curran. I practice acupuncture and Chinese medicine in Victoria, BC. I have a multidisciplinary clinic called the Elements of Health Center. And I've been practicing for 22 years now. And the bulk of it has been in supporting um, men and women through their fertility journeys and uh, obstetrical care, women's health in general. And then so delighted to be collaborating with Alda in the last couple of years with offering mindfulness for fertility programming. Yeah, and it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us. Oh, we're so super glad that you are here. And, you know, I might add in that I know you both through over the years, you know, we all are like keen learners in our fields and we're, you know, at conferences, we would show up every single time. So, um, Dr. Alda, do you want to share a bit about who you are? Sure. Thanks, Mary. Yeah. So um, I'm Dr. Alda Ngo, and I'm a registered doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture, and um, I'm living in Edmonton and uh, co-owner of a clinic in Edmonton called Whole Family Health. And so uh, we're an integrated clinic that specializes in family and reproductive medicine. Um, I've been practicing since 2005, specializing in reproductive medicine and fertility. And um, yeah, also very excited um, to be here. Um, I, Stephanie and I are both trained um, mindfulness-based stress reduction facilitators. And we're both avid mindfulness uh, practitioners, and we've both had our own fertility journeys. So yes. we we know the ins and outs uh, quite intimately um, from both a professional um, standpoint and also a personal one. And our own mindfulness practices were were huge for us. So That's we're happy awesome. to be here to share it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go dig right in then. So whoever wants to take this on, what the heck is mindfulness? Yeah, mindfulness, it's its a bit of a buzzword, isn't it? It's around everywhere in pop culture and the media and mindfulness this and mindfulness that. So it is good to talk about, you know, what we mean by that. And so one working definition from a fellow named John Kapitzin, who started this programming that Alda uh, referenced just a moment ago, mindfulness-based stress reduction, who was about 40 years ago out of the University of Massachusetts. He's a molecular biologist and, and established the Center for Mindfulness there. So his working definition of it is that it's the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So it's this, it's this capacity that we have that we cultivate, that we have to generate. It's not like, it's not a silver bullet. It's not like a um, one-time thing or something you can just read about. It's something that you actually have to practice again and again. And can you just reiterate that that one-liner about the definition? I think yeah. it's really important to highlight it again and just say it a little slower so everybody yeah. catches this. Yeah, so it's a practice. And, and as with anything that we practice, it's not just something you do once and expect something amazing to happen. If you think about the piano, like you wouldn't just sit down to the piano and play it once, right? You have to put your fingers on the keys again and again and again and again if you want to have the music come through you. And so it's the same thing for mindfulness practice. We need to remember to remember again and again. And that is what starts to then infuse more of our everyday moments, not just the moments we're sitting on a cushion because we don't live on a cushion. Right? We live in our lives. And so it's the ongoing small moments that we thread into our day. And then also the moments that we do carve out some time, however much time that is to formally 
insert a pause in our day where we are formally practicing, whether it's with a walking practice or whether it's with a sitting practice or with yoga, perhaps connecting with the body. This crazy thing, we walk around like this, you know, we're just like walking heads, right? But there's this whole other being that's accompanying us through the whole thing, right? And, and I think particularly in a fertility journey, there's this way that I know it happened for me, where there's this feeling of like disconnecting from the body and not being happy with my body, actually. Mm. So how is it that we can befriend our experience and, and befriend ourselves? I don't know about you, Dr. Tanya, but I'm sitting here. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're so, like, calm in your voice. I know. I feel relaxed already. We're, we're like, I'm two like, type A's. And so I'm like, I can just, just listen to you. So <laughs> just go in the state. Of, yes. It's wonderful. We're wired to feel instinctually under threat. And so constantly. So not just for fertility, but fertility is a big threat. Like, infertility feels like a big threat. So it's like finding that way just to the the, the being of uh, of being in the moment present and so i'm listening to your voice and like i'm recognizing how relaxed i feel this is going into my senses right now <laughs> and, and what you just said is really important because we are biologically hardwired to look for that which is a threat right and and when we think back to the caveman days right like our ancestors who were looking out into the serengeti and they were like is that a rock or is that a lion like the ones who thought it was a rock they're not our ancestors, right? They didn't make it. So, so we do have this biological <laughs> imperative to look for threat, to look to see what's wrong, right? In a fertility journey, to look at what is it that I'm not doing, right? What, what is not, what is, how do I, this is broken, how do I fix it, right? So there's a lot of emphasis in that direction. But we know from the neuroscience and the research that we can also attend to the aspects that are okay, and, and the aspects that are good, that are nourishing, that we feel positive about in our life. But I even think like those ones are helpful, but there's like this whole other realm of neutral or okayness that is much quieter that we miss out on entirely. And, and I really recognize in myself as the years go on with practice, what a refuge that is of just the basic okayness of recognizing it. And then taking it in. Rick Hansen talks about this, like the taking in what's good, not just noticing and going, yeah, but actually pausing to recognize it, actually feeling it in the body and lingering even for just a breath with it. Such a support, very helpful. And mindfulness is one of the ways that we can access that because we're attending the direct experience of the moment, moment by moment, with a lot of care and friendliness and gentleness. That's the non-judgmental part, right? We don't just have mindfulness, we have mindfulness and heartfulness, right? Wings of a bird that, that support us. The word for mindfulness, um, so the mindfulness is rooted from Eastern traditions. And so the word, like the translation in English doesn't actually really capture the whole essence of it. So the word for mind is the same word for heart. So when you hear mindfulness, you have to also hear heartfulness. So it's not just sort of this cognitive exercise. It's like, it's, there's a love to it. Um, and so, yes, like, so, you know, for Valentine's Day, it's, you know, I like to call it ordinary magic, you know, like my tea every morning. It's so ordinary. But when I stop and pay attention to it, it's totally magical. It's like a miracle. It like smells so good and it tastes good. And, you know, or like walking outside, like, you know, the leaves on a tree rustling in the, in the wind, like 
you know, unless I stop to pay attention to that, it's happening and I'm not even, I'm kind of missing out on all that magic because I'm just, you know, kind of worrying about getting the things done, you know, doing the things and the thing that happened that I'm like, you know, um, you know, turning over in my head or, or, you know, or the unknown of the future. Oh, I love that. And this is so appropriate because it is for Valentine's Day and we talk and, and in Chinese medicine, we say that we need our heart energy to connect with our kidney essence to be able to be aligned in that vertical axis so that we can be able to endow life that comes through us. So this is so appropriate. Thank you. Um, so you both spoke about that you had fertility journeys yourselves. So perhaps each of you can take a moment to share how mindfulness actually helped you on your own fertility journey. Uh, for, for me, um, it was two and a half years uh, of going through the experience. Um, I knew after six months of trying, you know, I was 36 years old and I thought, okay, let's do a fertility workup. Let's see how things are. And I was shocked and surprised to, to find out that my ovarian reserve was extremely low. And, and so immediately there was this not knowing of, was this going to happen for me? And on top of that, I knew from a younger age that I had endometriosis. And so then became surgeries and we found out there was a fibroid as well. And um, so very, very quickly, it went from not just Eastern medicine and, and trying it, it very quickly went into being medicalized and needing the support of a fertility clinic. And, and through that whole process, there's all of us know this, there's such a roller coaster that you go through. And it was really, really helpful to keep having something that I could land back with that felt grounding, like actually connected me back to myself, connected me back to my relationship with my partner, with my husband. And as we went through um, two IVF cycles and, and the ups and downs of all of that, I remember one time saying to Chris, because he was really... Um, uh, at one point in our conversation, looping out on like, how much longer are we going to do this? Like, I don't think we can keep doing this. And I said to him, but if we keep attending to this moment that we're in now, the next moment will be okay too, because this moment, like, we're, we're okay right now, right? Like, just recognizing again this, like, okayness, right? That we're okay right now. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, we're okay. And I'm like, right. So if we just keep attending to this moment by moment, that's what's going to carry us through. And I really felt the deep support of that. And then even once I was pregnant, all of the not knowing of the early weeks and there was a little bits of this and, you know, everything turned out okay. I have a nine-year-old daughter, but, but it was tender, right? And through um, the whole process, I really feel like it was a deep support. Hmm. Um, and so then, so for me, it's... Um it it was a seven year journey before I finally conceived my son. Um, our diagnosis was you know there were polyps at first and there's some male factor and um, but the you know the polyps were removed and then the male factor was addressed and, and then it was like unexplained. Um, and so funny enough, so for me when I think about mindfulness and the role that it played in my journey, um, I actually found out that I was pregnant while I was on a ten day silent meditation retreat. Um, so my period was due and it didn't come. And so I, you know, happened to have a home pregnancy test in my purse 
as one does. <laughs> and um, uh, and I used it, and to my total uh, surprise, it was positive. And so um, my husband was there, but he was like in a separate residence for men. Like it was silent, right? Like silent. So wow. I, could, I could see the back of his head in the meditation hall. And that was the only time I could ever see him. And it was like killing me. I was like, I just want to go and like tell him this crazy thing's happening. But I couldn't. And so I was just kind of trapped there. Like, Oh, with- my gosh. So he had no idea. No, man. No. That's awesome. <laughs> you can even like pass a note or anything. No, no. Talk about That's- mindfulness. You're like just yeah. going inward and t- oh taking all this and no, just living yeah. in this. Yeah. There was it's no. Positive. Um, wow. I had to just like sit with it and be with like the excitement, the elation, and also the terror because I had miscarried a couple times before. And so I was actually convinced I was miscarrying again. Right. And um, so, but I just, I had no choice but to just. Yeah, like sit with it all day and cut and like anchor myself in the steadiness of my breath um, as much as I could. And just like watch this storm of uh, like supercharged crazy thoughts and emotions bubbling through my mind. And um, so I practice this, like doing this with this um, awareness, this attention that Stephanie referred to um, and like with, with kindness and with love and without any judgment and just like practicing, not getting swept away by it, practicing just sort of, you know, sitting with it, watching it with this tenderness and trying not to get hijacked by it. And there was like nothing else going on. So it's like, <laughs> that was it. And um, so I feel like, you know, and I couldn't even utter a word of it to anyone. Right. And so I feel like, like these moments are kind of a culmination of how mindfulness supported me throughout my entire journey. It like helped me to create this space to be able to recognize what I did have control over and take really good care of it. Um, while also, you know, cultivating this kind of deep acceptance of whatever outcome I didn't have control over. So ultimately it helped me to make peace with the unknown of the future by helping me to find ease and deep acceptance of the present moment. Because control is a big, I was just like, I just like to have control. And this whole, like, not having control. Sure, don't we all, right? Um, I, just so you guys know, I'm taking notes from both of you. Because this is, like, gold. This, like, all of this. Because we, every woman, and you know what? Never mind fertility. It's, like, everything in your life that is happening, especially in the pandemic, for Pete's sakes, right? That's flying at us. It's, like, how do we make peace of that unknown future? How can we be in this present moment and have that okayness that, you know, uh, Stephanie's talking about? It's so awesome. Like, I'm going to be watching and listening to this over and over again, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) I was was getting tingles in my scalp as Stephanie was talking, and and I had memories. I, yeah, feeling the body. This is wonderful. Yeah, and I have memories of my the ten day vipassana meditation retreat that I took back in the in two thousand and five. Was it a vipassana meditation, Doctor Elder? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And so you're learning about the waves of like acceptance and like recognizing that things and come and go, but just that knowledge of like the pregnancy test and having the history of losses and you're sitting with that, that is precious. Like you, the memory is, that's such a cool memory. And how about leading up to that point? Like, you know, prior to that, were you adopting mindfulness into your journey prior to that? Yeah. 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 So like I've been practicing, I've had a, 
I was first introduced to meditation by my mom when I was a kid. And then as a grown up, I've been like dedicated to a practice for over 15 years. So I was already practicing mindfulness when this whole infertility thing unfolded. And so it was just this total, like Stephanie said, it was like a refuge. It was like, um, you know, it, it was just, it was just like this real opportunity to practice with, um, you know, all the, it's, you know, it doesn't take stress away mindfulness. It changes our relation relationship to it. Right. It doesn't, it, you know, there's this myth that it's like, we, you know, it's like not thinking, you know, if we meditate, we can like escape thinking and like, it's about stopping your thoughts, but that's not my experience. You know, it's really about the thoughts still come. I still had all the crazy thoughts and like, I'm pretty, you know, I'm like, I, like I said, I like to have control. I had all kinds of crazy thoughts. I mean, every, we all do, right? This like, is it ever going to happen? A hundred percent. Like, what can I do more? Like, if I just get it perfect, this should happen, right? Like, but it's, but I mean, it's so, it's not the, you know, any, anything else in my life, I could kind of, you know, set my mind to it and make it happen. But this thing, it was like, I couldn't make it happen for all of my, you know, efforts, for all of my sincerest efforts, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so it was super frustrating. So all these thoughts, so it's like, they still come, but it's kind of like, you know, there's this, uh, there's this uh, story that mindfulness teachers tell of, you know, there's this um, you know, person on the horse and they're just galloping by. The horse is just running, you know, and they run by this person on the road and the road is like, and the person on the road is like, where are you going? And the person on the horse is like, I don't know. I'm just like, though, I'm just on the horse. The horse is just like taking me somewhere. I'm just going. You know, and so that's kind of like life on autopilot. That's like doing, it's like my doing self, but it's, but, you know, mindfulness allows us to actually like slow that horse down and maybe like direct the horse, right? So it's not just carrying me. Um, so it's kind of like, so those thoughts are like that horse and it's just like, you know, if I, if I'm not, if I'm on autopilot, I'm just those thoughts. I'm completely identified with them and they're, I'm completely hijacked by them. Whereas when there's this space, when there's this moment of pause and this space, it's, it's like another, it's just like an event. It's just like another sensation. It's like, you know, I feel like you mentioned the tingling. There's tingling and, you know, there's tingling. There's, um, there's you know, maybe a, an itch here or a sense of cool. And then um, in, the, in the mind space, thoughts are like sensations that come and go. So I can kind of watch them come and go and not be so pulled by them so thoughts too just to say all that as well like i notice this maybe it's like this in your minds as well but the thoughts they're not so reliable and they talk all kinds of trash you know (laughs) and and they're really harsh and and they they're just kind of generating of their own worries and agendas and and all of this and and a lot of them aren't even true like for me, when I found out my AMH was rock bottom and really low, um, I found that out two hours before I was about to go on a week-long silent retreat, right? So I had this really rich, we'll call it rich, opportunity for a week to watch all of the thoughts that came and went in association with that. I was down adoption roads. I was down egg donor roads. I was down all kinds of things. And I would like wake up to the tears that would be streaming down my face, open my eyes, be in the meditation hall and being like, none of that is even happening. 
right? But a thought would enter my mind and then this hijacking that Aldo's talking about and would have this huge impact physiologically on the body, on the heart. One thought would generate the next thought and it was all this tangle of mess and I just kept coming back to this recognition of that's not even happening right now, right? So it's really powerful. It's this really powerful way that we can keep coming back to how it is now, right? Love it. So I think we need to actually get into the nitty gritty of meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe, is it Alda? Are you the one that is going to be guiding us, leading us through this? Yeah. Okay. So just so you know, this is going to be in podcast form. And, you know, if you're watching live, obviously you can see us. But so just be mindful <laughs> that um, a lot of people are hearing it and not visually seeing this. Okay. 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 So um, just coming into a comfortable posture. So just finding a comfortable posture wherever you are. Um, if you're seated, um, having your feet flat on the floor, just resting the hands on your, on your lap and gently closing the eyes if that's comfortable for you. And if it's not, then um, perhaps taking a soft, unfocused gaze about two to three feet in front of you. And so whatever's more available to you. So finding a posture that um, invites ease, but also alertness. And just returning to the body here, taking this moment and this opportunity to return to the body because often our bodies are here and our minds are elsewhere. So just returning the mind to the body, which is like a portal into the present moment. And just attending to the body, sensing into the body, the front of the body, and the back of the body, and the sides of the body. Attending to any points of pressure between the body and whatever surface is supporting you. So perhaps feeling the soles of your feet on the floor, and your bum in your seat. And just feeling into the direct sensation of the variation of pressure here, feeling where the pressure is the greatest, and then feeling where that pressure starts to give way into more ease. And so, as you're ready, shifting your attention now to the breath and to the direct sensations of the breath moving in and out of the body, wherever it's the most vivid to you, wherever it's the most accessible to you. So, this might be at the belly or at the chest or perhaps at the nostrils. And so as best as you can, bringing a quality of um, like kind, curious openness to this and seeing if you can be with the direct sensation of the breath without needing to change it at all. So without needing to manipulate the breath and make it any particular way, seeing if you can just be with it, how it is, as it's showing in this moment. 
And so if you're attending to the breath at the belly, perhaps noticing the rise and fall of the belly with each in-breath and out-breath. And if at the chest, perhaps noticing the ribs as they're expanding and contracting with each inhalation and exhalation. And if at the nostrils, then perhaps noticing the coolness of the air as you inhale and the warmth of the air as you exhale. So just as best as you can, attending to the breath just as it is, with this kind, open curiosity. And so perhaps noticing the quality of the movement of the breath, perhaps noticing if it is long or short, deep or shallow, or maybe if it's rough or smooth, whatever it is. Breath in and breath out. And so when your attention is captured by some other sensation and distraction, so perhaps thought or perhaps sound, just knowing that that's totally normal, that's actually totally a part of the practice and that this waking up to the movement of attention is just as much a part of the practice as being focused on the breath itself. And so noticing what it is that's captured your attention, again, just with this kind, open curiosity as best as you can, and then gently guiding your attention back to the breath. And this might happen multiple times. In fact, it, it, it likely will. And so just as best you, as you can, just with this kind, you know, even loving attention, noticing and returning. And then as you're ready, returning your awareness to the sensation of the points of pressure in your body, feeling into the soles of your feet again, your bottom and your chair, becoming aware of the sounds in the space around you. And then as you're ready, gently opening the eyes again and just looking around the room that you're in and getting a sense of 
your body in the space that you're in. And reorienting yourself. And as you're ready, landing back on the screen, if you're looking at a screen. And just taking a moment to, to check in here and sense into the state of the body and the state of the mind. And just seeing if you can invite this quality of attention into the moments of your day, the coming moments of your day. Wow, that was lovely. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask, was that, did you actually time it? Was that five minutes? It was, a, it was a little bit longer than five minutes. So like six minutes or less than six minutes? I just want to know. About seven, about seven okay. minutes. So I don't know about you. Like it felt short and long at the same time. Short meaning that in a short period of time, I was able to fully relax. Was that there for anyone else or, you know, feedback would be great? <laughs> I think, I mean, is there anybody on Facebook following? I can ask. I think because we all practice that it, it's easier to go into that state quicker and just be very present and aware of our bodily sensations and breath. But I mean, back in the day, I mean, I started with meditation too with my mom, but there has been times in my life where I just kind of rejected, you know, mindfulness and meditation, probably a lot going through fertility, you know, kind of being mad at it, thinking, well, how come I can't will a pregnancy? And how come this mindfulness stuff's not working? But um you know, as you grow into this place of acceptance and like change your mindset and perception goes back to easy again. And so like in these moments and it, like, it's not just about these moments, but then also translating them into your day and practicing it all day, like you guys said, right. Just bringing this into not just a sitting space, but also maybe when you're interacting with people, when you're eating, like what kind of other areas would you would you guys say are really easy to incorporate um, the mindfulness space? And and I would say, but I'll answer that. But I also want to just say that for those who were just listening or watching with us, yeah, if you didn't achieve some kind of calm state, that that's also really normal, right? Yes, there, this is one of the myths. This can be one of the misconceptions of mindfulness is that we're trying to impose some kind of other state on top of what our actual experience is. And actually what we're doing is opening to and being receptive to and more sensitive to actually how things are as they are. Yeah. And so I know for myself at different times, if I've got a project that's coming up, when I go to sit, there's a lot of busyness. Like it's not quiet and calm at all. Or if I have had a, a loved one that's passed, or if I've had an argument with my partner, or while I'm on a fertility journey and I'm in that dreaded, terrible, awful two-week wait, right? It's not calm and quiet, actually, at all. But what the five or six or seven minutes, you know, that, that we attend to this, what it does is it just creates some space around it and allows us to find into and access this groundedness in amidst the storm. It's kind of like on the surface of the water. It can be very, very, you know, wavy and tumultuous and currents. But if you drop down just slightly below the surface, then there's some stability here, even though there's all this storminess. So 
just wanted to name that in case um, any of our listeners or had that experience or have this experience moving forward because it's it's very much part of mindfulness and then this question that you've asked around how how else do you see this in your day this is really the the this is really the stuff of the mindfulness fertility programming and of mindfulness in general is threading it in so for me this whole time that we're talking right now actually i i'm i'm consciously and intentionally reminding myself to feel my feet on the ground right while i'm in the shower um there's this like remembering that there's a body that i'm (laughs) touching and the warmth of the water and the feeling of the soap while I'm driving there's the the knowing of my hands holding the steering wheel while I'm in my acupuncture practice there's the intentionality of knowing that I'm turning the door handle with every time I go to walk into a room to be with someone right so so really it can be alive and can be available in all of our moments, my teacher in Burma that I study with, Saida Utejaniya, he says, from the moment your eyes open in the morning until they close at night is actually a precious opportunity right, to be practicing. So don't wait for conditions to be just perfect and the, for the body to be just so and for your house to be clean. It, it looks nice from this view right here for those of you who can see, but there's all the other, you know, I don't know if it's like this in your house, but so, so we don't have to wait for everything to be just the way we need it to be. There's this controlling element that we were all talking about earlier, right? We can actually just access it because it's innately here within us. So when you say it's innately here within us, right? So, you know, there's the thinking of like, well, what's the minimum amount of time? Like, how am I going to benefit? Like, so then is this person that's asking this question, are they going to benefit from just sitting down as we just did? Or are we just saying, okay, incorporate it like two minutes at a time in your life when you're conscious and like set an alarm or something like, wow, how do you address that? Like so that people can incorporate, but not be overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. And and so small bite-sized moments are a great way to start, right? Um, and, and any amount of time that we do drop in and connect with the direct experience um, is a moment of mindfulness. So whether it's just for one in-breath and one out-breath, that's already having impact on our nervous system, right? In moving out of sympathetic arousal into activating the parasympathetic parasympathetic system, right? Into more of a rest and digest mode. And so it's kind of like exercise though, right? Like two minutes of exercise, that's good for the body, right? Two minutes of stretching, right? That kind of thing. But 30 minutes has a different impact, right? So we know this through through the research around mindfulness, which in a secular way has been done for just over 40 years, that the, the, it's the continuity of it that is most important, right? That it's done, it's not just like one two-minute segment here and then a month later another two-minute segment, but like daily and throughout the day, right? And, and this innately part, it's like it's always here, it's always available. Like right now, do you guys know that you have feet? Uh, of yes. course you do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crickets for a moment. Yes, you yeah. have feet. Good. Yes. But, but yes. a moment ago, you might not have known you had feet. And of course, if you looked, they were there, right? But, it, but is this kind of like, now there's just this, this connection again to the experience of the body. So it's with that kind of light touch, right? Multiple times a day. But what helps us to remember is the formal practice where we string together a little bit longer moments because that, that flexes that muscle in our brain of this neuroplasticity that's gathering and collecting our awareness and our attention. 
Yeah. Love it. Okay. So speak to us about, because we need to wrap this up because we're supposed to only talk for 20 minutes and here we are because <laughs> it's such an awesome topic. Um, so tell us about your, you actually uh, created a program, Mindfulness for Fertility. So share with us a, a little bit about that. And then we are totally going to wrap this up. Okay. Um, so our, yeah, our Mindfulness for Fertility program, it is, we use that MBSR um, curriculum. So we're both trained facilitators for that. And so Stephanie spoke to that in terms of um, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. Um, it was developed in the 60s. And so at the time he, and I think he's like retired now, but he, you know, again, is a molecular biologist. Um, and so he, he, he developed this like secular program that's now become a standard in the research. So when they do research, to, um, to, you know, investigate the benefits of mindfulness on, you know, you know, fertility, inflammation, gosh, immunity, all the things, the change in the brain. So they've done um, fMRI scans on graduates of this eight-week program and have found that, um, you know, there's less activation and uh, increase in size in the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's associated with the fight or flight um, stress response. And then there's an increased activation and um, increased size in the prefrontal cortex, which is associated with um, like positive emotions and higher order thinking and um, decision-making. So when they do these studies, they need a standard. And so this program has become the standard. So it's probably the most um, studied uh, mindfulness program out there. Um, and so we're, we're using this with fertility patients. And so mindfulness has already, um, you know, been proven to have many benefits for fertility patients. So we spoke to it a little bit at the beginning. Um, I know, Tanya, you had mentioned, um, you know, the research around recognizing that people with infertility are suffering from levels of anxiety and depression, similar to those who um, are suffering from diseases like cancer and HIV and, and heart disease. Um, there's also evidence. So, so Stephanie had mentioned at, before we were live that there's a brand new study that's been published and it's very well powered and multinational. And it was just published a couple of months ago in December. And what they found is that um, it, it revealed that emotionally supportive service offerings by healthcare providers is strongly associated with continuation of fertility treatment. So not only is there this, you know, um, psychological burden of just the fertility journey itself, but also the added stress of treatment. And so, you know, resources to support um, people uh, going through infertility um, to support the the emotional journey is really important because not only is it affecting their experience of their journey, but also it's affecting um, their choices in terms of how to move forward with treatment even. And that perseverance. Right. right. Yeah. And then they're more likely to get pregnant because they're sticking to it because yeah. it's so easy to give up. Right. Because they're just so frustrated yeah. at times. Well, and thank it, you for your time. Yeah. Sorry, are you going to add something else, Stephanie? Yeah, I was just going to say that that the research has shown that even when finances to treatment aren't the issue, like when it's government funded or it's covered by insurance companies, that 60 percent of people will drop out of treatment after the first year because of the impact of the psycho- psychological burden. So this way, exactly as Tanya has just said, of if we can give people skills to be able to stay the course of their treatment, 
that's part of what increases the chances of of growing our families. Absolutely. And just to say and name what our program is, it's an eight-week program. Classes, we meet weekly for two and a half hours. There's a day-long um, component to the program. We do all of this online, right? So people can sign in from wherever. Um, and uh, and it's eight weeks. And we um, our next offering will be coming up in the spring. It's going to start at the end of April. So dates will be on our website really soon. It's uh, mindfulnessforfertility.com. We also have partnered with uh, McMaster University and One Fertility Center for a pilot study. Our ethics approval is underway right now, so hopefully we have a spring cohort coming. And we have the three time zones. We're going to be doing Eastern time zones, uh, Mountain time zone, and Pacific time zone classes. So we're we're um, trying to make this accessible uh, across across Canada, actually. Well, I think that we need to bring it international. And, and Dr. Tanya and I are working on something online. So we, we, we're going to collaborate at some point for sure. I can see us happening because you guys are a huge asset. And, you know, I need to acknowledge this. Here we are, four practitioners coming from full heart, wanting to help you guys because we all come from a very different place. With Alda, it was unexplained infertility. With Tanya, it was PCOS. Me, I had blocked fallopian tubes. And you, Stephanie, I, uh, you had diminished ovarian reserves. So it's like four and different endometriosis. places. And endometriosis, mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, me old as well. So <laughs> all of that to say, it's like no matter where you are in your journey and no matter what you're facing, we got your back and there's so much that we can do to help you make this journey a little easier, more hopeful, decrease the stress, time, energy, and, you know, like, gosh, like, we're excited um, in what we have to offer you. And Tanya and I were actually um, coming out with a quiz very soon. And basically, it's going to tell you what your chances are of having a baby. And from that, we'll guide you, depending on where you're sitting, um, like a little plan that will be just made for you. So, um, super excited about that. And again, uh, if you haven't checked out our podcast or previous podcast, do so. Like our last one was about the whole two-week wait, which is, as you all know, really anxiety-ridden. And to me personally, it's probably the hardest part of the journey, the two-week wait. Anyway, anything to add, Tanya, before we close off? Thank you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you you so much for for having us. Yeah, Yeah, it was was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. It was awesome.